And, uh, you know, today we're going to be uh, kicking off, well, this is kind of like a pre, uh, pre-kickoff to what we're calling Daring Faith, the Key to Miracles. And one of the things that you'll learn when we start talking about this is that whenever you begin to step out on faith, you can expect to be attacked by the devil. And one of the things that, that I, I believe that's happened over the last 12 months, I'm just sharing with you, is I've never had any health issues at all. You know, never. And uh, is this echoing a little bit? Is it a little bit too loud? Is it okay? But uh, I've never had any health issues, but... Uh, last year, within the past 12 months, last year in February, uh, we just finished the 21-day fast, and on February the 1st, my gallbladder went out. And uh, it, it, the problem wasn't just with my gallbladder. After my gallbladder was removed, uh, I'm assuming that they left some sludge in there, and after they left sludge in there, I got really bad sick seven days later. And I had to go back to the ER. Ten days later after that, uh, I had another episode that was twice as bad as the one I had previously. And it took me probably about four months to get over that. Well, then I got over that. And I went to Africa on a missions trip and got bit by a mosquito. And, while I got, and, and then I contracted what they called the Chickamauga virus. And who in the world gets, you know, the Chickamauga virus, you know? But uh, I went about six weeks with dealing with, you know, it's basically like having the flu for six weeks, four to six weeks, and had to go to see infectious disease, and nobody could diagnose you with anything, and I'm like, they give you no medicine. I mean, it's just crazy. It's been a long, extensive time period of being sick, and then, you know, we go on the 21-day fast this year, and then February the, the 13th, I get not, uh, two knots cut out of my head. I go to bed. You know, Grant, you go to sleep just like you normally do. Wake up the next day with what I think is a crick in my neck. I'm thinking, oh, that's great, right on top of this. But it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I just, I said, man, I'm going to have to go to the doctor or something. So I I went and, you know, I said, you know, they sent me, I went to the chiropractor. They did uh, whatever that electrolysis stuff is. Uh, uh, They did uh, realigning. They did exercises. They did all that stuff. He said, man, I can't help you. You need to go to the doctor. I go to the doctor. They give me anti-inflammatories, blah, 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 blah. And none of that stuff hurts. It uh, helps. I go to the physical therapist for the past month. And, you know, that's physical therapist. I don't know if there's any in here, but I'm going to tell you something. You need to change your title. There's, that is not therapy. That is called, you can call it, keep it PT, but it's not, P, you know, it's not physical therapy, it's physical torture. I mean, I'm telling you something, that dude about made me cry five times. You know, I'm like, but I guess that's how you get better. But anyways, been doing all those things, and then uh, this morning, you know, this, this morning Rachel calls and said, uh, something's bad, bad wrong with Leah, so she had to take Leah to the emergency room this morning. It had been 45 straight days of pain that I've had to deal with. Just about got in a fight with Walter Don in the foyer this morning. You better watch your mouth. I got a cousin that lives in North Carolina, and I tell you what, he's, just, he's, he's, he's giving me a hard time. But here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying all that stuff to be, make you feel sad or pitiful or, or, or sorry for me. I mean this with everything in my heart. Even though a lot of this stuff is happening, I can honestly say that I am really, really excited about what God 
is about to do. I mean, I, I believe with everything in my heart that God is about to do something incredible and amazing that is going to blow our mind when everything is said and done. I, I believe that. <laughs> you know, for the last few weeks, Clay's been talking about, you know, the, the exodus. And last week, the Lord spoke to me, and he said that, that our church is in a season of exodus, that we're about to exit one season and enter into another season. And there will be those that will exit, but with this exit, there will be an entrance of a multitude of those that are lost, that are lonely, that are hurting, that are hopeless, that are in need of a Savior. And I believe that we're getting ready to step into this new season. And this series, this series on Daring Faith, the Key to Miracles, I believe is going to bring us to the point to where we're going to enter into that, but it's going to require some daring faith. Amen? So if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn over to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. I have got more points than a porcupine this morning, so we'll see what happens. Um, I want to talk to you about what happens when we have faith. What happens when we have faith? And we're going to define what faith is, and we're going to look at what it means and, and, and how to use our faith and what it means to see with eyes of faith and then what it also means to see through eyes of fear. But in Hebrews chapter number 11, starting at verse 1, it says, Now faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. I want you to listen. This is NIV. Now faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is, not maybe, not hopefully, but is going to happen. Now listen to this. It is the evidence of things, I love this, we cannot see yet. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Faith is the confident assurance of what we hope for that we know is going to happen. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not wishing, it's not wanting, it's not hoping it is assurance. You know, the word faith means full assurance in the heart. F-A-I-T-H, full assurance in the heart. So the Bible says faith, now faith, is the confident assurance of what we hope for is going to happen, and it is the evidence of the things we cannot yet see. There are things that God has in store for your life, for this church, that you cannot yet see, but if you have faith, you can have confident assurance that what God wants to do and the things that God has planned for you are going to happen. But none of that stuff is going to be accessible to you without faith. Now, skip down to verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, I love you with all of my heart. And Lord, I count it a privilege to stand here today and share your word. 
Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, I believe that we are exiting one season, and I believe we're going to enter into another one. But God, to enter into that season, we have to have daring faith. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, as we speak this morning in this introductory message, that, Lord, you begin to stir the faith in the hearts of those that are here and help us to have the confident assurance that what we're hoping for is going to happen. Lord, help us to know that, Lord, that it is on the way. You've already ordained it, but help us to step into that by faith, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith is, a, is, a, is a, an amazing word, but it's also basic foundational truth for the Christian life. You know, faith is incredibly important because if we desire to know God, if we desire to please God, the Scripture says that without faith it's impossible to please God. You know, in another verse of Scripture, it says that anything that's not of faith is sin. And so we need to understand that faith is a vital and important thing in our lives that God wants us to put into practice and use because the Scripture says that faith always demands a response. Faith, faith is not mentally acknowledging something. Faith is not something that you just... Hope actually happens. You know, faith puts a demand on you and it requires a response. Now, why is that true? The Bible says faith without works is dead. So true faith has corresponding works behind it. And in order to obtain and receive the things God has planned for you in your life, it's going to require you to have corresponding action. In other words, it's not more than just sitting here and acknowledging, believing that God has great things in store for your life. It's you stepping forward, getting out of your comfort zone, stretching yourself before you'll actually be able to step in and see the things that God has in store. It's confident assurance that the things we hope for is going to happen, but it's the evidence of things that we have not yet seen. Like I said earlier, just because we've not seen it yet, just because that there's a few empty seats here this morning doesn't mean that they're not going to be filled. There's going to be a day when all of these seats are filled and we'll have multiple services on Sunday. And we don't see it just yet, but I can tell you it's on the way. But we have to step into that. And all of us are going to be a part of seeing these things happen. Now, that, that's important. But faith over time seems to be or seems to have become a, a, a very uh, a, a, you know, mystical topic, a very mystical term of, of, of word. You know, it, you know, faith is not for just a few super spiritual people. You know, faith is a gift from God. Everybody has faith. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that God has given every man a measure of faith. So every one of us have the faith God has given us Faith, but before we'll see the benefit of it, we have to activate that faith. And the way that we activate that faith is that we step out on in obedience to God to whatever it is that He says for us to do. But I want you to know that faith is not something you just experience one time. Faith is not something that just happens and, and, and then it's all over. The Bible teaches us that faith is supposed to increase in our life over time. You know, the Bible talks about having different faith. It says, you know, little faith and much faith and great faith. And then 
no faith, that, that it's possible to increase or decrease the level of faith in our lives. And so the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, add to your faith. Now, how do we add to our faith? By taking one step at a time. Now, you are comfortable operating in the level of faith that you are walking in right now. But Daring Faith, this Daring Faith campaign is about you stepping up or taking the next step to, to begin to operate at a new level of faith because God wants to take you places that you've never been before. But if you always do what you've always done, you'll always have what you've always had. And so God is saying, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're good and not evil to give you a hope and a future. But how do you get to that future? By taking the very next step that the Holy Spirit says for you to take. So during this series and even during this message, I want you to be prayerful and ask God, God, what is the next step that you have for me? What is the next thing that you want me to do and, and how am I supposed to get to where I'm going? You know, the Bible says that Abraham, God called Abraham out of his, out of his place of comfort among his family and he said, Abraham, I want you to go to a place and I will tell you where that is once you get there. Now we look at Abraham and we think that he's this great man of faith. But do you know how Abraham got to where God was calling him to go? One step at a time. The way that we get to where God wants us to go is taking one step at a time. That's why salvation is the very first step of faith. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, least any man should boast. So salvation is the first step of faith. You know, you can't just acknowledge, you know, that Jesus is uh, God, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus was raised from that. Mentally acknowledging that, even knowing that truth doctrinally doesn't save you. The Bible says that you believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. See, demons have some of the best theology and Christology that, 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 that exists. You know, when Jesus walked on the earth, you know, people struggled to find out who he was. And Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they would say that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. You know, they couldn't figure out who Jesus was. But anytime Jesus encountered a demon, the demon got it right every time. The demon said, we know who you are. You are the Son of God, that you are the Christ every time. So they have clear understanding of right doctrine of who Jesus is. And not only do they understand and mentally acknowledge that, what they believe about Jesus moves them emotionally. He says, you know what? You believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. What the demons believe about Jesus makes them tremble. It moves them emotionally. But is it possible for a demon to get saved? No. And the truth is, there's a lot of people in church who have the right mental doctrine of who Jesus is. They think because they believe everything correctly that they are saved. But the truth is, they can believe everything correctly and not know who Jesus is. You can know the book of the Lord and not know the Lord of the book. There's a big difference between the two. How do you know if you are saved? You are following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Two simple words, follow me. He didn't say go to church. 
He didn't say sing praise songs. He didn't say listen to preachers all the time, be a Sunday morning Christian. He said, listen, follow me. Now, let me ask you a question. I know that the majority of you, you've took that first step of faith. But a lot of people take the first step and they stop. Now, are you following Jesus? Are you truly following Jesus? Listen, Jesus is on the move. And if you haven't moved in the last five years, you're not following Jesus. If you are at the same level of spirituality you were when you first got saved, or if you're at the same level of spirituality that you were a year ago, you're not following Jesus. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is not just in here. He is really out there. Listen, and we have to come to that place where we are following Jesus. And that's what daring faith is all about, following Jesus. So the Bible says we are to add to our faith. The first step of faith is salvation. But then he says, I want you to add to your faith. You add to your faith by taking the next step. What's the next step? The Bible says we're to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. But he says, don't stop there. I want you to keep going. Increase your faith. Add to your faith. He says, now I don't want you just to step, take a step of faith. I don't want you just to learn to walk by faith. I want you to learn to live by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ that lives within me. And the life I now live, I live for him. So we see that there's a step of faith. There's the walk of faith, and then there's the life of faith. Now, let me ask you, where are you in that process? And so we're thinking, how do we get there? You know, how do we grow in faith? How do we uh, grow and mature and experience God in greater levels? And, and, and the answer is very, very simple. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, of our faith. And so daring faith is all about going deeper in our relationship with Jesus and following Him at deeper levels with a deeper commitment in a deeper way with a greater faith so we can experience the things that we have not yet. So faith is not you having the ability to have faith in you. Your faith is as only as strong as the object of your faith. Your faith will only take you as far as the object of your faith will take you. Therefore, if you are looking at faith and trying to find faith in a man, then a man will only be able to take you so far. If you are looking at yourself and trying to find faith in yourself, then yourself will only take you so far. But faith, the Bible says, begins with Jesus, and faith ends with Jesus. And the Bible says, he that began a good work in you will finish that work until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the foundation of what daring faith is, is, is all about. So what starts out as a measure of faith given to us by God, uh, goes to the next level by taking a step of faith at salvation. We learn to add to that by learning to walk by faith. We continue to add by that by, by learning to live by faith. And then we get from faith to faith and glory to glory by looking at Jesus as he leads us to the next level. Amen? 
So let's go ahead and define what faith is. What's faith? What is faith? If I were to ask you to give me a definition, could you, could you give me that definition? Now, it's important that you understand what faith is because, again, we've been so spooky in church that we think faith is, is a lot of different things that go on inside of church. But the truth is, faith is a very, very, very simple truth found in the Bible. But before I tell you what it is, let me tell you what it's not. Now, this is a very, very important thing I want you to get. The majority of people base what they say and what they do by how they think and how they feel. Let me say that again. I'd write it down if I was you. The majority of people base what they say and what they do by what they think and how they feel. If they don't feel something, they don't move. But if they feel something, they start to move. Faith sometimes, a lot of times, almost all the time, will require you to do the exact opposite of what you think and how you feel. Listen, I, I, I did not feel like preaching this morning. I had trouble raising my hand. I wanted to, but I didn't feel like it. But I didn't base what I did or, or what I do by how I feel. And a lot of times we, we think that faith is wrapped up in the mental and the emotional realm when really faith is in the spirit realm. And if you don't allow yourself to go deeper than just the mental and the emotional understanding of faith, you cannot even begin to tap into faith because faith will always place a demand on your life that will always make you feel extremely uncomfortable. Why does faith make us feel uncomfortable? Because we don't grow in places of comfort. You don't grow when you're comfortable. You grow when you're uncomfortable. And faith grows by stretching it. It's like muscle. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. So, what is faith? No, well, what's not faith? Let me just give you a few things that faith is not. Faith is not wishing. It's not wanting. It's not hoping. Faith is not desiring. It's not feeling. Faith is actually a way of seeing Faith is basically, in simple terms, faith is seeing the world, seeing yourself, seeing life, seeing your circumstances from God's perspective. Things always look better when you see things from God's perspective. Things always look worse when you see them from your perspective. And so we're going to look at this for just a moment, you know. And, and so what I want you to know here is, is that we're going to look at how when we look through eyes of fear and then when we look through eyes of faith, how it affects our life. What happens when we look through eyes of fear? You know, listen, it, it determines a lot of the outcome of what happens in our life. And then what does it look like when we look through eyes of of faith. So I want to do two things. In, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and, and chapter 14, the background of this story is that God has brought the children of Israel out of 400 years of Egyptian bondage. He'd done miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He destroyed the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. He brought the most powerful man in the world 
to his knees and he brought them out of bondage and he said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. It's called Canaan. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so in Numbers 13 and 14, the, Moses had brought the children of Israel to the border of the promised land. And they're able to look into the promised land and they're all excited. This is what God has promised. This is an incredible, magnificent, amazing land. Everybody in Moses' church was excited and fired up. But Moses said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send out 12 spies. He said, I want these 12 spies to go out and look at this land, and then I want them to come back and bring me a report about what they see. So all 12 spies go out to the promised land, and then when they come back to bring the report, 10 of those spies brought back a negative report, and only two of them brought back a positive report. Now, here's the thing that's crazy. All of them saw the same thing, but they interpreted it completely different. So let me ask you this question. We as a church are at the border of a promised land that God is wanting to give us. The question is, what do you see? What do you, I come today to give you a good report. But the problem is, other people, may even be yourself, have believed a negative report that this is too good to be true. It's always been this way. It's, you know, nothing's ever changed in my life. You know, this is just who I am. It's what I do. You've allowed what you've been through to identify you and label you and stereotype you. So even when you're looking into the promised land, you're thinking it's just too good to be true. It can happen for somebody else, but it, it, it can't possibly happen for me. So these men, they saw the same thing, but they totally interpreted it differently. Now the problem is, the majority of the people listened to both reports, okay? All the people that remember, they're excited. They see the promise, and this is going to be incredible. All the people heard the 12 reports that were given. The problem was the majority gave a negative report, and only two of them gave a positive one. And so because the majority said, you know what? Yeah, it's great, but... You know, there's giants in the land. You know what happened? The whole entire congregation become negative, critical, filled with doubt, and they didn't do anything about stepping into what God had promised them. Why? Because the majority always listens to the majority. But what was, you know, listen, the report that you listen to will either take you in or keep you out. Let me say that again. The report you listen to, and you've been listening to some reports, that will either take you in or keep you out. The Bible says, whose report shall you believe? Listen, I may be hurting this morning, but I believe that by his stripes I'm healed. I'm thinking, you know what? I might just get healed right in the middle of preaching this thing, you know? I, I don't know, but I, I, I believe it. I mean, it's what I can see, but it's, I've not yet seen it happen. It's on the way. It's provided. One way or the other, God's going to make it work. So let me give you quickly, let me give you five things that happen when we look through eyes of fear. 
Five things that happen when we look through eyes of fear. Number one, we exaggerate our difficulties. Think about this. God has just delivered the children of Israel from the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. Now, they go in and they see a small local tribe that's in this, this land God's given them, and all of a sudden, they become absolutely terrified about going in. See, the problem is when you look through eyes of fear, your problems always get bigger. Every time you look and focus and concentrate on the circumstances, on the problems, on the issues, on the bad things that happen, every time you focus on those things, they get bigger. What you focus on determines how you feel. What you focus on actually gets bigger. What you focus on determines the direction you're going. What you're focused on determines if you stay focused long enough will bring you to a destination. The problem is, if you focus on the wrong thing, you will end up in a place God never intended for you to be. Listen, these guys, their destination was the promised land, but because they focused on the problems and their problems got bigger and they were more exaggerated instead of going into the promised land, you know what happened? They died in the wilderness. I don't want that to happen to you. God has got great things in store for you. He's got great things in store for this church. But if you only focus on what is negative, what is bad, you focus on your problems, listen, you'll never take a step of faith. God will pull you. He'll call you. He'll say, look, I'm talking to you. People that are saved or that are not saved, they feel conviction in their heart. They know they need to give their life to Jesus. And they know that, you know what, that, that, that they need to take that step. But you know what happens? They focus on the fears. What if I can't live right? You know, what if I can't do this right? You know, what if, you know, what if I fail? What if, you know, I don't know all the things that I need to know. But they focus on their fear and they're paralyzed by it. They stay where they're at. Nothing is worth going to hell over, not even what you're afraid of. And the funny thing about this story, if you continue to read it, when they actually went into the promised land after the entire generation of, of Israelites died in the desert, the truth is the giants they were afraid of were actually afraid of them. They said, listen, we were terrified of you. We heard what your God did to Egypt. So you know what? They lost out on the purpose and the will of God for their life because they were afraid of their enemy while their enemy was afraid of them. There's a lot of people here today that's terrified of taking that next step of faith. And you've allowed fear to control you to the point that the devil has you exactly where you want you, paralyzed. But that's what happens when you look through eyes of fear. You exaggerate your difficulties. Now, here's the negative report. Numbers 13, 27, and 28. This is what these people, these are what the negative people said. This place, this land, it's magnificent, but I want to tell you this. Anytime that you're going to attempt to do something good and significant from God, there's always going to be a big butt in the way. Most of the time, it's your big butt. So if you could just get your butt out of the way, 
You might be able to enter into the promise. That was the, that was the report. The problem occurred when they said, but. It's a magnificent lamb, but. They should have said, it's a magnificent lamb, period. God says, we can have it. Two of them said, we're well able to take the land. Ten of them said, but. The majority says, but. You know, I believe that's true in the church today. The majority of the people says, you know what? That was a good message. You know, I'm inspired by it, but. Oh, I believe God's got great things in store, but. You know, I believe that we can see a lot of people say we can impact our community, but. We're comfortable in church. And God says, I want to stretch you. I want to stretch your faith. I want to talk, I believe the Holy Spirit will say this. I believe the Holy Spirit will say, get your butt out of the way. Now, you're thinking about your gluteus maximus. I'm talking about your conjunction. What I'm really saying is get your conjunction out of the way. I would do something for God, but I'm too young. I would do something for God, but I'm not smart enough. I would do something for God, but... I'm too old. I would do something for God, but I'm afraid. Well, get that but out of the way. You know what the word but means, don't you? Beware unruly tongue. Remember, a lot of people base faith on what they think and how they feel. What about you? What about you? Boy, it's quiet in here this morning. You know what I'm saying? So they say, it's a magnificent land, but there's giants there. And here's what they said. They'll kill us. They'll kill us. I know that God just destroyed the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. I know he parted the Red Sea, and you know what? We walked across on dry land. I know that he has given us manna from heaven. He's provided water from the rock. He's in all these things, but there's giants in land. And you know what? They'll kill us. Now, here's what I want you to understand if you're going to do something great, from God, great for God. Almost always, the majority of the people are going to be negative. And anybody who's going to make a difference in the world is going to have to overcome negativity and criticism of other people. Now, here's the problem. Negative attitudes are contagious. You know, the only thing that is more contagious than a positive attitude is a negative one. Remember... All of Moses' church was fired up about going to the promised land until they heard the negative report. Now, they heard the negative report, and it wasn't just that they heard it. They believed it. They believed it, and all of a sudden, this bad attitude, this negativity begins to just infiltrate the entire body, and they're affected by it because negative attitudes are contagious. They were fired up until they heard this report. Now, let me just share something with you. Put, put the next slide up for me here. Now, I'm going to read you some of the names, if I can pronounce them, of those who brought back a negative report. And listen, what I want you to do is, I want you, if you have heard of any of these dudes, I want you to lift your hand and say, I've heard them guys, okay? All right, here's, here's the guys that, that, that brought back a, a negative report. You ready? Shafer, Egal, Patali, I guess, Palti, Gadiel, Amiel, Sether, 
Nobby, Gail, Shamu, and not the whale. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of them dudes? Nobody? Let's look at the guys who brought back a positive report. Anybody ever heard of Joshua and Caleb? Put your hand if you've heard of them. Here's my point. Nobody ever remembers anybody that just walks around running their mouth being negative and critical saying it can never be done. The only people that are remembered are those that take a step of faith and believe God to do what only God can do. And I'm just wondering... If I put your name up here, which side would I find you on? Which side? Moses looked up and said, whose side are you on? Who's on the Lord's side? And you can say, yeah. But there must be corresponding action. We're going somewhere. I told you I was fired up. We're going somewhere. So we exaggerate. We exaggerate our difficulties. I mean, this is why Daring Faith, the key to miracles, is such an important campaign. I honestly believe this. I believe with all my heart God wants to do some miracles for you. I believe it. I mean, I come here every day, every Sunday, looking for something miraculous to happen. Because God does that stuff. Amen? Lord Jesus. All right, let's go to the next one. When we look through eyes of fear, number two, we underestimate our own abilities. Numbers 33, 13 says, We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now listen, this is how they saw themselves. This was their self-image. You talk about low self-esteem. You talk about people that thought they were from Clay County. I'm telling you, these people had... Poor self-esteem. He says, we seem like grasshoppers. And you know what else they said? They've never met their enemies. They don't have no idea who they are. And they said, you know what they said? They said, we are the same to them. Well, how do they know what the enemy thinks? That's exactly the way some of you are. Listen, you, you, you believe that the every lie the devil tells you is true. You're never going to do anything for God. You're never going to amount to nothing. You need to settle. You need to sit. You need to be comfortable. Don't ever try to do anything. Just stay right where you are because you ain't nobody. I can't tell you how many times the devil said to me, who do you think you are? Now, why, why, why did they think their enemy saw, thought, saw them this way? It's called projection. Listen to this. We tend to project our fears on everybody else around us when we look through eyes of fear. They're projecting their fear. Listen, they've been slaves for 400 years. They've been freed for 40 years, but they are still mentally, listen to me, mentally enslaved. God has set them free, but they're still walking in bondage. To not, not to Pharaoh... But a self-image, a self-concept, you know, an idea of what they think they are. And they think they're nobody. They think they're nothing. They think that they don't have any value. They think they're pathetic, pitiful, that they're never going to do anything. This is, they're enslaved to this kind of mentality. And you know what? Some of you are exactly the same way. 
Jesus has set you free, but you're in bondage in your mind because you believe something somebody said about you that's not true. You've took it on as your identity. You've accepted that. You say, you know what? This is how I am. I've always been this way. I've always done this. You know, I, 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 don't, you know, I don't know anything different. And you hear, listen, you hear this message and you're thinking, amen. That's never going to happen for me. You're enslaved. You amen. You acknowledge, you, 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 you say you believe that, but just in your mind, you're thinking, no way. You'd never tell anybody, though. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to radically change your life. Not only can he, he will. But they, they had this poor self-image. They're enslaved, not to Pharaoh, but an idea to their own self-image, the way they saw themselves. Now listen to this. Somebody in your life over the years have spoke critically and negatively about you. And you have accepted it, and it's not true, but you've accepted it. And you've taken it on as your primary identity. You're saved, but you're a slave. You're a saved slave. To what? Listen, the truth is, we care more about what everybody else thinks than what God thinks. I mean, how messed up is that? Then we come to God's house, and we're afraid to lift our hands. We're afraid to, to worship the Lord. We're afraid to respond to an altar call. We're afraid we just want to come and sit comfortably in our saved slavery. I didn't sign up for that. Man, this is good this morning, didn't it? These people, they're not even in your life anymore. And here's what you're doing. You, you, your primary identity is not determined by the sins you've committed. Listen to me. That's in the past. Your primary identity is not in your struggle. Your primary identity is not in your weakness. It's not in your mistakes or your failures. Your primary identity is in Jesus. And you say you're a child of God, but you feel more like a slave. Like God doesn't even like you. Like he's out to get you. Like he wants to do harm to you. That he sits in heaven and he just takes notes of all the things that you do wrong. If you have that kind of mentality, you're a slave. That's a whole lot of people. I've been there myself. But during this series, God wants to set you free. You know, the beautiful thing about the gospel is it doesn't just set us free from what other, thinks of, uh, other people think of us. It sets us free of what we think about ourselves. Isn't that amazing? So if you've got a bad self-perception, I want you to understand something. Jesus said, I want you to bring that and nail that to the cross. Because you know what? Your primary identity is no longer in what you've done, but whose you are. 
And until you know whose you are, you'll never know who you are. Listen, I've done just about as much wrong as a human being can do in a lifetime. But you know what? I'm God's favorite. I'm serious. I am the object of God's love and affection. You know, I used to think, you know what, it used to bother me when I'd read the Bible and I thought John, the apostle, was some kind of little sissy boy. That he was a brown noser, you know what I'm saying? That he was always trying to get closer than everybody else because he'd write things about himself like, you know what, you know, John, the, the one whom the Lord loves. You ever read that? I sit there thinking to myself, oh. who does he think he is? And I would, I mean, I, would, I mean it, that's the thought process. It was so messed up, I wasn't getting it. He said, John, uh, whom the Lord loves. You know what I said? I said to the Lord, I said, well, who does he think he is? And the Lord said to me, Donald, don't you know he's talking about you? He said, you are the one I love. And the difference between me and you I'm walking in that stuff because I walked in the other stuff and it didn't add one thing to my relationship with Jesus. Did you know condemnation doesn't add anything to your relationship with God? And the Bible says there's therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And yet when we mess up and make a mistake and, and experience failure, you know what we do? We bring self-condemnation on us as if we're trying to punish ourselves. So after we punish ourselves, then maybe we can be made acceptable to God. Lie! What you do is you repent, you turn around, and you run right back after Jesus. Amen. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, their sin didn't cause God to run away from them. Their sin caused them to run away from God. And when they sinned, they were hiding. And you know what the Bible says? The very next day, God says, Adam, where are you? And some of you, you're hiding. You've messed up. You've made mistakes. There's guilt from your past. And you know what? You're saying this is too good to be true. And today God's saying, listen, where are you? He's come looking for you. Listen, if he wanted to send a condemner, he could have done it. But send a savior. That's shouting ground right there, isn't it? All right, let me hurry. Number three. When we start looking through eyes of fear, we get discouraged. Listen to this. Then all the people began weeping aloud and carrying on all night. You know what they did? They threw this big pity party. Lord, don't get me started on that. How in the world can a Christian throw a pity party after what Jesus has done for them? I'm telling you, if, if he doesn't do another thing for me, he's done enough. I don't need him to get me out of another mess, but I do. I don't need him to give me another blessing, but I'll take it. I don't need him to do any other thing to prove his love for me. He's already done it. But you know what? No matter how bad my life gets, God is still good. Listen, this world is not my home. You can't threaten me with heaven. I'm not a slave to this world. I'm not a slave to a job. I'm not a slave to debt. I'm not a slave to a lifestyle. I'm not a slave to an image. I'm going to leave this thing out and see what happens. 
I'm from 313 Town Branch Road. Following Jesus has sent me around the world multiple times. And the only difference between me and you is that I just took a step of faith. Didn't have the money. Don't speak the language. You know, I don't know if you know this, but there's not too many people on Town Branch that, that's traveling around the world preaching the gospel to unreached people groups. And there's not too many people in the world who know who I am, and I don't know anybody else, but I know God. And what God has done for me, he will do for you. What he's done in the past, he can do today. But still, when I'm around grumbling and complaining Christians, I'm like, Lord Jesus. But they, 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 they throw a giant pity party. They're crying and weeping. Now, you know why? Because they don't get to go into the promised land. What, what's keeping them out? Why can't they go into the promised land? Tell me. Are you listening? Tell me. Fear. I wonder what's keeping you out of your promised land. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand discouragement comes at times, but listen, you can't be pitiful and powerful at the same time. Number four, we start complaining about our lives. Listen to this stuff. Now, after they threw a pity party all night, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. What are they doing here? They're blaming the leaders. Listen, you know what the word blame means? It means be lame. And when you start blaming others, you forfeit your right to change. Now, I deal with a lot of drug addicts, and I talk to them. I was one. And this is how I'm able to tell whether they're really wanting to change or not. When people are really wanting to change, they take responsibility for themselves. But if people come up to me and say, you know what, it was conspiracy... I know I had, you know, you know, 100 pounds of pot and, you know, and some meth and some, you know, and some, and some pills, but somebody set me up. I'm thinking. You'd be amazed, but you have to believe your own hype. But you know what? Even though we think that is a severe case, Christians do the same thing all the time. We think that other people control our destiny. So they start complaining. First they mourn and murmur, then they cry and complain. Listen to this. Highly critical people, listen, are highly insecure people. Highly critical people are highly insecure people. And your success, your moving on, your stepping out on faith intimidates them. Have you ever noticed people that don't, are not doing anything want you to do it with them? Have you ever noticed people that are not going anywhere want you to go with them? And you know what happens? They, they, they start to complain about the leaders. And what happens is when people start complaining and blaming other people because they're the ones that are controlled by fear and they have all this insecurity, you know what they do? They'll do everything they can to sabotage your success. Because I feel bad about myself, I want you to feel bad about yourself. Because I'm not going to do anything with my life, I don't want you to move on with your life. Because I'm not going to be happy, you know, they're like Lucy on Charlie Brown, you know. You know, she, she don't want to be happy, you can't do anything to make her happy, and miserable, uh, miserable likes company. That's what they're doing here. 
Because how, how do I know that? Because here's what they say. We'd be better off in Egypt. We wish we had died in Egypt. This is number five. When you look through eyes of fear, we blame God. Numbers 14.3. Why did the Lord blame it, bring us out to this land to kill us with swords? We'd be better off going back to Egypt. What are they saying here? We know better than God does. Man, if I had a penny for everyone that just was just the same exact way. Everybody's an expert. Everybody knows what's best for themselves. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Listen, if we as a church are going to get to where God calls us to go, you can't do your own thing. You've got to do what God's called you to do. And if you do what God's called you to do, listen, you know what? It will help strengthen this church and move this church forward. So these guys are saying, you know what? It's God's fault. We know better than God. And again, they're blaming God, but what's holding them back? Fear. There's a lot of people that are in the same situation. They start second guessing. Now they start remembering the, old, the good old days back in Egypt. What kind of good old days were back in Egypt? How can you wish you were back in the bondage that you were in for 400 years? Is there anything in your past, that bondage that you would find appealing? It's possible that you get so disoriented that you think that in the past is better. You hear people say that all the time. Listen, you know, back in the day, I can remember back in the day, let me tell you something. God's not back in the day. God is in today. They that, that come to God must believe that he is. That's a present tense word. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Anytime you hear people talking about the good old days, they have lost their focus on where God's called them to go. I've got to go through all this stuff and get out. They want to go back to Egypt. What was in Egypt? Slavery. But it was safe. Okay, listen to this. A lot of people get stuck in safe slavery. They're enslaved to a relationship, a habit, a thought, their past, the way they used to do things. They don't like change. They want to hold on to what is familiar and predictable and comfortable. The thing, they, their idea is this. You know what? I, I know how to... Function in Egypt. All of you know how to function in Egypt, but God has not called us to go to Egypt. And God has not called us to die in the wilderness. Now, you may not know what the promised land looks like for you, but I can promise you this much. If you're going to get there, you're going to be stretched you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be afraid. But you know what? You can't allow those things to keep you from following Jesus. Man, I've got to hurry up. Listen, safety and freedom are two different things. You're either moving towards safety or slavery or you're moving toward taking a risk or freedom. Let me tell you something. God is a risk taker. If you don't believe it, look at your life. I remember when God called me to preach, here's what I said, Lord, I will make a fool out of you. 
And this is the gospel truth. I have preached things before I don't even believe is true anymore. You know what that's called? Heresy. I'm glad I did it with about five people instead of about 200 people. But God didn't give up on me. He's not quit. He didn't set me down. He didn't strike me dead. Some of you, you won't do anything because you're afraid of failing. You are enslaved to the fear of failing. Listen, let me tell you something. How many times have you failed up to this point? A couple million? Listen, I am a successful failure. I am an expert failure. But failure is what I've done, but it's not who I am. Success, one man says success is going from failure with failure with a positive attitude. Why? Because God works all things together for the good of those that love the Lord. But here's what they didn't. They, they gave up on the promise of God. I'm going to blaze through these right quick. Five things that happen when you look through eyes of faith. I, I, I want, the point I want you to get out of all this stuff, I know it's a lot of, lot, of, lot of stuff, is that all of us have to battle looking through eyes of fear in some area of our life. And during this campaign, I'm going to poke at that fear. I'm going to expose that fear. I'm going to come after that fear. I'm going to attack that fear. And you're going to be very uncomfortable. You're going to squirm a little bit, but you know what? The gospel is good even if it makes you squirm. Because I don't want you to stay where you are. You're better than that. God didn't save you to sit in this church. He didn't save you for you just to kind of float along on the lazy river. He called you to make a difference. Don't you dare let anything cause you to be so afraid that all you do is become a Sunday morning Christian. When God has more, fear holds you back. Here's what happens when we have eyes of faith. Number one, faith makes our problems smaller. When you look through eyes of faith, you start to see what God is doing around you. You start seeing things from God's perspective. And when you start seeing things from God's perspective, they become much more manageable. We think that the dread of the stuff we have to go through sometimes is worse than actually the stuff we go through. What's the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Attitude. Because with every opportunity, there's an obstacle, and every obstacle there is an opportunity. The difference is, how do you see it? I love this, this, this statement here. If you have a big God, problems get small. If you have a small God, problems get big. You know what faith is? Faith is not having great faith in a little God. Faith is having a little faith in a great God. The difference is how you see it. When you see it from God's perspective, things get smaller. Genesis 18, 14 says what? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Answer that. Number two, faith opens up the door for a miracle. And basically, I'm summarizing this, this scripture. It's also in your outline. But, but God is speaking about how that faith can move mountains. God has set up, listen to this, the universe in a hierarchy of laws. 
And the law of faith is actually then higher than the laws of nature. This is where the realm of miracles take place. Now, I want you to build your faith. You can't stir it up. You can't, you know, you can't you know, move it and, 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 and try to you know, somehow emotionally stir it up. Because remember, faith is not in the realm of the emotion or in the mind. It's in the spirit, right? But Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can speak to that mountain and tell it to be removed and cast into the sea. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand something. When you understand how powerful faith is, you'll know the way I set up the universe that the law of faith supersedes the laws of nature so that when you're needing a miracle, faith can supersede the circumstance that when doctors say, I can't do anything for you, faith will cause it to happen. I mean, this is the way that God has set this up. Does God still do miracles today? When's the last time you saw one? I told you I'm coming after that stuff. That's one of the reasons why I'm getting so excited about this campaign. Here's what I know to be true. Every time... A person, every time a person responds in faith, God does a miracle. What does the last part of that verse say? Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will. If that's a lie or true. But again, eyes of faith, eyes of fear. Here's my question as we start this series, and then go ahead and come to music. What mountain in your life needs to be moved? What mountain in your life is saying, and you're saying this, it's never going to change. What obstacle, what barrier, what wall, what hindrance? What is it that you have already decided that God cannot do for you? Because some of y'all, you know what you've done? You have settled. You, you brush it off. You block it out. You say, you know what? It's a good inspiring message. I didn't come to inspire you. I come to provoke you. I come to come after you because God wants to come after you in a powerful and personal way. But there's barriers. There's walls. We're enslaved to a mental concept that this is as good as it's ever going to be. Number three, faith causes God to act on my behalf. I mean, listen to what it says here. Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Now, I'm not saying name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. The Bible says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. The Bible says through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. You know, sometimes there is a process we go through, but for every problem, there is a promise. For every problem, there's a promise. And the problem you're going through, this is how I know God's up to something big. You ready? Your problem is an indicator of your promise. Listen, I've been going through stuff for 13 months. And I'm not lying. Listen, if I was a crier, I would cry. That physical therapist tried to make me cry. 
Like, oh! I kick my legs and throw. I'm telling you, can't figure out what the thing's going wrong. Medicine don't help. Therapy don't help. Chiropractor don't help. And I've been in pain for 45 days. God's up to something big. I am genuinely excited. I'm hurting, but I'm excited. Because God never wastes pain. I don't care what pain you've gone through. Listen, your pain's an indicator of your promise. If you, I'm speaking to you this morning. Listen, if you've been going through a hard time, if you have been in a difficult season, I'm here to tell you, weeping may endure for a night, but it's coming. It is coming. God is about to move. See, here's, here's the thing. If you expect God to do little in your life, you know what God will do? Little. If you expect Him to do a lot, He'll do a lot. If you don't expect Him to do anything, guess what? He won't do anything. What are you believing God for? What are you expecting God for? Listen, do you even have a vision? I mean, do you have any dreams? Listen, God's calling this church to enter into a, a, a season of dreaming. What could be? Imagine. We've got 18,500 people in this county that, that don't go to church anywhere. We've got 60,000 people within driving distance of our church going to hell. And we're here. We have seats available. But do you see them? And can you believe that God might use you to reach them? Oh, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to make you feel uncomfortable. Here's what we do, though. The problem with us is we think griping, complaining, whining. Number four. Faith turns God-given dreams into reality. Ephesians 3.20 God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we think or ask according to the power that's at work within us. You know what that verse is saying? God's saying this. He says, Donald, think of the greatest thing I could do in your life to make a difference in the world and I can up it. Have you ever considered that? Now notice what it says, according to the power. Where's it located at? Tell me, where? What kind of power is in us? Exceeding, abundant, above. It's there. But none of it is accessible without you changing and stepping out on faith. You believe this verse? Why ain't it real in our life? I promise you, you take a step of faith, you'll see that stuff happen. God, you know why God's invisible? Because His greatest pleasure is for you to believe. That's the way He set it up. Here's the last thing. Faith gives me the power to hold on during tough times. Man, this is an important one. Don't, don't miss this one. Listen, faith doesn't always take you out of the problem. 
Faith oftentimes takes you through it. It didn't always take you out of the problem, but it will take you through it. Faith doesn't always take away the pain, but faith will give you the ability to handle it. Faith doesn't always take you out of the storm. Sometimes faith takes you through the storm. And Jesus is our example. Stand with me. Man, I could have preached. you lucky I'm merciful. Pull of mercy this morning. I'm quitting. I ain't finished, but I'm quitting. Listen to this story. From 1957 to 1975, the United States and Russia was, they were in a space race to see who would be able to put the first man on the moon. Remember what I'm talking about? And for a while, Russia was actually succeeding and was ahead of us. And what they did, they were able to send up a cosmonaut before we were. And they sent a cosmonaut up into space and he was able to travel around the world for the first time in human history. Yuri Gagarin, it's his name, was a Russian cosmonaut, and he, listen to this, he was an atheist. He was the first man to circle the earth, and after he circled the earth, when he came down, here's what he said, I was an eagle. He said, I searched the heavens and I found no God. I looked for God in the heavens when I was up there and I did not see Him. There is no God. And all the atheists applauded and said, Yes, you've proved that there's no God. Well, a few months later, John Glenn, who, by the way, was a Christian, he's an astronaut in the Gemini program. He went up and circled the earth three times. And listen, it's when John Glenn came down, his first words were, I saw God everywhere. I felt His glory in the heavens. I saw His presence in the stars. I felt His power in the sun. I saw God everywhere. Now let me ask you a question. Which one was right? Both of them were right. How's that true? Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot And maybe you're here this morning, and that's where you're at. You need to be born again. And the first step you need to take is you need to stay and come and surrender your life to Jesus. Now, listen, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to battle your fears. You're going to have to get over what you think other people think about yourself. But I'll tell you this much, if you never get over your fields, you will die in the condition that you're in. And I can promise you, that's not what God's will for your life. And unfortunately, if you die in the condition that you're in, there's a place that's called hell that is eternal. And there's no exits there. And there's nothing that you're afraid of in the world that is worth going the hell over. There's some of you, you know what, there's people, you're in bondage to your own self-image. Because of what somebody said to you years ago. You believe that and you've allowed that to dominate you. You've, kept, you've allowed that to keep you where you are. And God said, what do you see? 
I've come this morning to open your eyes. He said, open your eyes and see. Come out of that. And some of you, are, you're stuck in self-slavery. You've settled that this is the way it's always going to be for you. Nothing's ever going to change. This morning, if you need to give your life to Jesus, I beg you to overcome your fear and do what you need to do because I'm telling you, tomorrow's promised to no end. He said, behold, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because the more you, you harden your heart, the more cold you become. And there'll be a day when you will not be able to turn to him. The Bible says the last days men's hearts will wax cold. But if you're stuck in safe slavery, if you've got a poor self-image, if you're battling fear in your life, I want to invite you to come. I want to pray for you. I believe God wants to open your eyes to show you what could be if you'll take that next step.